I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The Drive Nation podcast with Dan Prosser and Andrew Frankel. We're talking about fast Audis. There's plenty to get through, Andrew. But before we start, I put it to you that there has been no more inconsistent high-performance division over the years than Audi's high-performance division, Audi Sport, Audi Quattro, RS, whatever you want to call it. Do you think that's fair enough? They've, they, over the years, they have produced some great cars, but also plenty that have more than missed the mark. Plenty. I mean, I think sitting here now in where we are, January 2021, I think you're probably right, but I think BMW's moving up fast um, you know, there have been some very inconsistent M cars of late, haven't there? Um, you know, some absolutely wonderful things, M2 comps and some you know, things that we just don't, don't understand why the badge is, is even on it. And, you know, and who knows, once um, AMG starts sticking four cylinder engines in C classes and E classes, yeah. who, who, who knows? We're going to be. But yes, I think I, I, I think I think that is absolutely fair to say. Now, I, I have a little challenge for you. Oh, go on. OK, I want you to see if you can get the entire way through this podcast Without saying the word understeer. understeer. (laughs) (laughs) You're way ahead of me, as ever. Okay, we'll just call it push. We'll call it Audi push. Um, (laughs) All right, great minds. The nose peels away from the apex. (laughs) And all the other great road safety cliches. That's that's a good one. Nose peels away from... I've not heard that one before. You not? No, maybe it's due a comeback, that one. Copyright A. Frankel, 1992. (laughs) Okay. Well, this is a good time, certainly from my point of view, to do this podcast. Because only a few months ago, um, I had an RS2 for a few days. And that is the original RS Audi. Um, and outside at the moment, I've got the brand new S3, um, one of the, the more recent Audi performance cars. That doesn't quite bookend them all because, well, there was the Audi S2, wasn't there, in 1991. But actually, we're going to go back further to the 80s and the Audi Quattro. 
Um, we have spoken about really early Audi Quattros on the podcast before, so I think we should just skip ahead to some of the slightly later ones. And actually, what I'm really curious about is the, the short wheelbase model, the Sport Quattro, because I've not driven one. Uh, okay, well, I can help there. But I want to know what you think of the S3. Ah, oh, crikey. Should we do that now? Okay, let's get, let's get it out of the way. <laughs> that good, um, <laughs> Oh, dear. Is it going to be one of those podcasts? It may be. Anyway, let's see. Under, underwhelming. Not the other word. Underwhelming is what I've got in my notes. The thing, okay, so it's got a, a, a good modern cabin. It feels quite upmarket inside. Um, I actually, I don't particularly like the way it looks from the outside. It's a bit chromey, a bit chintzy for my tastes. Um, uh, I, I was trying to start off on a positive note. I didn't really get very far. Uh, it's, the car I've got outside has got 19-inch wheels and no adaptive dampers. And the ride just feels clumsy, you know, wooden, brittle, it just feels leaden-footed. Um, it sort of, sort of thuds and thumps along. Uh, the steering is numb. The whole car is actually numb. It's just a remote, distant car. Um, what is what is so strange about that is you know you and I both know what's underneath it, um, and it's essentially a Golf R, isn't it? That's the odd thing. Um, which is none of those things. Yeah, that demonstrates how important the fine, detailed tuning yeah, is absolutely. in a car. Yeah. Um, but that's exactly what I was thinking the whole time is, I know it's got the same hardware as, well, I'm talking about the previous Golf R. I've not driven the new Mark 8 one yet, but I know it's got the same uh, well, hardware, much no, the same. No, no, nobody's driven that, that yet, I don't think. No. So, yeah, okay, it's got much the same hardware. They had all the same opportunities, one imagines, as VW, but it's just a numb, blunt, unexciting car. It's, it's not rewarding in any way. I drove it today actually in those conditions you know where it hasn't rained but the road is wet and when you follow a car you get through liters of windscreen washer fluid yeah yeah. Um, and i thought great four-wheel drive audi s3 it's going to be really good in these conditions and it it just wasn't it the steering is so blunt so what so so you couldn't really fit i'm not trying to put words in your mouth now but is it it one of those cars where you can't really feel where the nose is so you don't get that much confidence in it, even though you know you've got the hardware to get the job done, but you still back off anyway because you know you're not really quite sure where you are with it. That it's more or less one of those, yeah. And it's just got got a very um, bland balance. You know, there's no adjustability. There's no sort of poise in there. It's just uh, nose led. What I, what, what I find strange about that, and this is, I suspect, a theme that is going to pop up. Um, a bit during the course of this podcast is certainly with cars like that um you know it's not like the audi chassis engineers are thick it's not no. like they're they're less talented than volkswagens um it's not like they've never driven a golf r so the only conclusion that can be drawn it is that it is that way because that's the way they want it to be yeah and that's what i don't understand because you know if there was a trade-off like they could only have decent ride quality if it handled like that. Then, you know, that I'd understand because you think, well, it's a different brand. It's got different brand values and therefore it appeals to a different set of people for a different set of reasons. But when it's all worse, when it doesn't ride as well or handle as well, I can't see, you know, there, there, there must be a group of people who go, this is the way that Audis should feel or behave or handle or whatever. Uh, and, I think, and I think that... You know, I haven't driven this car, so you know, I'll reserve judgment on this particular car until I do. But on a more general point, we've seen so many Audis like that, fast Audis like that. I think, I think they're just wrong. I just I can't see what they'd lose. I cannot see an Audi customer 
um, or and particularly a customer thinking about going to an Audi from one of its rivals, getting into a car that really rode nicely and handled nicely, like a Golf R, and go, oh no, I don't like that because you know it, it's too comfortable or it rides too, or it handles too well. I mean, it's just not a conversation they're going to have. So yeah, I've just never understood it. No, and I, I should say that one. Uh, thing that I did like about the car dynamically is that when you're driving it on a, a more sort of flowing road and the instant you dial in just that little bit of um, steering lock to turn into a corner what it does do is it settles really nicely it leans a bit and then settles really well so it gives you that confidence that the car is secure that it's tied yeah. down and I did like that but you know one commendable dynamic trait doesn't exactly go a long way does it um, and I, I suppose I, I feel as though it's just sort of targeted towards people who think a, a four-wheel drive hot hatch should look upmarket, have an upmarket cabin, and go quite fast when you put your foot down. You know, that's, that seems to be the extent of it. And that's enough. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, to me, cars like that, you know, again, I haven't driven this, but, you know, it, I'm sure, you know, I don't doubt you for a second. And if that's the case, cars like that need kicking because, you know, it's, it's not good enough. You know, any, any, any area of car design and car engineering where anybody ever thinks well that's good enough and doesn't make it as good as they can possibly make it isn't is by definition not good enough yes that's right that's right it's i I stepped out of it thinking the s3 in terms of all the s and and rs audis it's like an album track it's just a bit of filler really it's not one of the ones that they've gone we have we absolutely have to get this right and i think that the rs6 is probably that car for audi and the, the S3 just feels a bit like one that they feel they should produce and market, but they don't, you know. The, the funny thing is, and you're in charge of the chronology of this podcast, so if I'm about to leave Mato Place, I shouldn't shut me up yeah. and we'll talk about it later. But the, the original S3, yeah, so that's the car that would have come out in, I would think, 99. Yeah. Um, that was great. That was great. That was one of those, you know, because, you know, Audi have been making cars that have handled in a certain way for you know long before they were started doing you know fast ones or before quattro gmbh or indeed audi sport became a thing um and i can remember getting into the s3 which i think had a 200 horsepower two liter turbo in at 1.8 turbo um expecting absolutely nothing of it i think i drove it to le mans back one year um and i just remember thinking this is a cracking car actually uh, and how many times have we had that over the last 20 years where we got into an audi and we thought wow they figured out how to do it and the next one you get into you go oh it's bizarre isn't it it is and it it was just one of those cars i thought it was a really really good car um and actually i'd I'd, I'd love to have a go in another um but Mm. um yeah interesting okay all right well let's wind it back then that's the new s3 yeah not convinced by that i have to say um but I want to hear about a much more exciting fast Audi, um, the Sport Quattro. Yeah. I mean, to, to, if, any, if you're remotely interested in rallying, you'll see a Sport Quattro road car even and just go, wow, that's the coolest thing. Well, they made, what, 300 of them or something? Yes. Yeah. A rare car. Very rare car. Um, it is a cool thing. I mean, the only one I have driven, um, Audi UK have one, a uh, red car, um, and... I think it, I think they would be the first to say it is a car that spent more time being shown than driven, uh, and I think it needs, uh, or certainly the last time I drove it, it may well have had it by now because I know that they were going to. It needed a bit of um, TLC, um, but you know, a fascinating thing. Um, 
you know, very, very short wheelbase, very, very laggy engine. I mean, the sort of thing that if you just got in and drove, you'd think, what's all the fuss about? Um, it's, and it's the sort of car that unless you really, you know, frankly, drive it like a rally car, really start bossing it about, um, it could be a bit disappointing. But when you did, given you know the age of the car and everything else, it was pretty remarkable. Really fast, amazing noise, um, and it, it 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 wasn't you know it wasn't like a you know a really really agile mid-engine rally car which you could like back into a corner because you know it still had its engine slung out in front of the front axle. Nothing to forget that about those cars, um, but you know fascinating bit of engineering. You know lots of power, beautifully built, um, and yeah, just a privilege to be able to sit and be able to say that you've mm. had a go in one. Mm, that's really cool. Um, yeah, okay, so let's wind it forward a little bit. And now you, I'm sure, will have driven the RS2 in period. Yes. Um, and I, I drove it towards the end of last year. Uh, so before I get stuck in on it, t- so tell me what you made of it back then. Back, I wasn't very impressed. I wasn't that knocked out by it when it first came out, which was, oh, goodness, 93, 94, something like that? Four, yeah, four. 94, Okay. Um, you know, I, I, I obviously knew that Porsche built it, um, and it was an extraordinary amount of, what, 315 horsepower or something from a yeah. 2.2 or 2.1 litre straight five. I mean, back then, you know, that's like 150 horsepower per litre. I mean, those, those are big numbers back then. Um, and I loved the way it looked. I thought it looked absolutely amazing. But, you know, and it did everything absolutely right. It felt so solid. The interior was just brilliant. And you just get in and you think, this is, this is my car. This is, you know, when they designed this car, it was my picture they had on the wall because they couldn't have designed it more for me until you got to a corner. And, you know, it, it's, you know this is going to be such, well, it is a cliche, and it, you know, but, but cliches become cliches for reasons. It's because usually because they're true. Um, and it was just nothing in the corners. And I, dro- I drove one quite recently and... It was lovely to get back into it and hear that l- wonderful noise again and to feel, it still feels so solid. In fact, it, f- it feels solid in the kind of way that cars don't these days. Um, it, it didn't feel particularly, it wasn't like it was just, you know, put together with laser-like accuracy. It was like it was just the materials they used were absolutely, true. there was a meatiness about the way that car felt, um, which I absolutely loved. Um, but yeah, I drove it around Bruntingthorpe, you know, back in the day before they shut it. Um, and this was only, yeah, it would have been last year. Um, and it's the same old, same old, you know, the moment, you know, wonderful in a straight line, the moment you got to a corner, you'd think, well, pff, you know, that's a missed opportunity. That's the problem, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so but, I, I mean, a nice car. I feel, still feel warm about it, but very aware of its limitations. Yeah. I, I drove it from home in Bristol to Goodwood twice, actually, Ooh, on consecutive wow. days. Wow. Yeah, it was, and do you know what? I I really enjoyed being in it, but I'm aware that I enjoyed it. I enjoyed driving it in the way that I enjoy driving almost any mid '90s performance car, just because they feel so different to the modern stuff, and you have to yeah. approach them so differently. Yeah, and you know you have to manage things like turbo lag, and you have to work with the gearbox. You have to get dialed into the slow steering. You have to also read the road, the shape of the road. In a, in a modern performance car, it doesn't really matter if the road is undulating or dipping or whatever. But in those older cars, you really have to think about that stuff. And so it's it's driving, you know. Yeah, um, but, but it's involving, isn't it? And, that, and yeah. that's the whole thing about, you know, and we're not going to get into this here, but that's the whole thing. That's the, that is the whole conundrum um, of modern cars. You know, the better they are 
actually the less involving they are and therefore the less fun they drive that, that they are to drive and you know you're absolutely right about all those things with the rs2 you know you have to manage it because ultimately it's not that good so you have to help you have to step in and that's when the fun begins and that's when you actually feel you're making a difference you don't feel you're sitting there you know watching some amazing display you actually feel well you know i'm part of this show um yeah yeah i'd, I'd like that about it but then you, you know you sort of you begin you're like this is good. I'm enjoying it. And then you very quickly find out where its limits are and, uh, you know, what, what its shortcomings are. So it's an interesting one. Um, but it did sort of kick off a, a whole dynasty, didn't it, of very fast uh, Audi estate cars. It did. And yeah. we've, had, we've had so many of them since. Um, let's, let's switch up to the RS4. Now, I remember back in 2013, before I actually started at Evo, I did a a day helping them out on a photo shoot in South Wales in the, it was bucketing it down all day. Um, And we had three RS4s, the original, the B5, the B7 with that lovely uh, 4.2 normally aspirated V8. And then what was the then new B8, which is, you know, the one that followed it. Uh, And it was really interesting to chop and change between them. And the theme that I sort of alighted upon that day was, it was all about rate of response and how that changed as you worked up through the generations. So the, the B5, the early car, was quite a lazy, quite sort of leaden-footed thing, and you had to manage so, it, be so patient So that it. had the 2.7-litre V6 yeah. in it, yeah? Yeah, the twin-turbo V6, yeah. But like the RS2, enjoyable to drive because of it. Um, and then you, then you got into the B7, uh, the first V8 one, and it had sort of natural, authentic responses it was predictable it felt quite alert it just well judged measured okay and then you jumped into the b8 and it felt it had gone too far it was over responsive hyper alert it was fidgety the steering was very quick and flighty um and it just seemed that it was with the middle car the b7 that they sort of figured it out and it was just disappointing that they couldn't hold on to it and roll it on into the later cars so the B7, that would be, what, a sort of late 2000, sort of 2006, 2007 car? Is that, that about right? That's right. Yeah, okay, yeah. No, it's, it's interesting, actually, because that wasn't my perception at the time. I didn't like that car, and I haven't driven again recently. And there's so many cars I've driven, period, and thought one thing, and then driven again 10, 20 years later, whatever, and thought something completely different. Um, I can remember driving the one after that b8 presumably um and actually thinking all those things that you're talking about which to me that that that, that they actually brought the car to life a bit um and i can remember thinking actually this is an audi estate which isn't simply a straight line machine um i'd be really interested to have done that experiment because i'd probably go back to it and think something completely different again now it's it's so strange when you drive these cars in retrospect um, and with a little bit of of hindsight, they and also because you know you're not you're no longer assessing those cars with the sort of gimlet eye of the road tester. That's you it. That's assessing it. it for a modern market uh, and for a contemporary audience. You're 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 looking back and you're thinking, you know, am I still going to feel warm about this car, or will this car make me feel warm about it in a way that it never did when it was new? And so you kind of your terms of reference are different, um, and as a result, sometimes you end up feeling different things about it. But you know. As I, th- I think with all these things, there's no right or wrong, is it? It's just you know, it's just the way that you feel on any given day. Yeah, that's right. I, I actually still like the B7 RS4, but I do think there has never been a spellbinding RS4, has there? Is that fair? Yeah, no, I think that is. 
I think that is absolutely fair. Um, I mean, yeah, that V8. I mean, that made you know that that made any car feel special. You know, name a car with that engine that which didn't feel special in some to some. You know, spinning. You know, way back when it was spinning past eight thousand RPM, wasn't it? Um, and I know that we'll get onto the R8 in in due course, but. Um, you know, and also, you know, RS4s did look really cool, you know, with yeah. their flared arches and their big wheels and, you know, and their short wheelbase. I mean, they, they, they looked, I mean, to me, an RS4 has always looked to have been a better looking car than an RS6 just because it looks meaner, because it looks more muscular and um, sort of compact. And yeah, so, I mean, there's always a lot to like about um, those cars. But, okay, ask me if I've ever driven an RS4, which I've preferred to the equivalent C63. No. Mm. that's it yeah they're they're not they they have their they do their own thing don't they really those rs4s they I, I suppose audi would actually say we're not trying to make you know an out and out driver's car with this thing it's something it's something slightly different um but well, there we go I mean, yeah it's interesting and, and also let's not forget um that the new rs4 it's going to have an m3 touring to contend with yeah, that shakes up that market, doesn't it? Yeah, it does a bit, fun. yeah. Yeah, and the Alpina, which we know is a cracking car anyway. Yeah. Um, okay, right, let's go bigger again then, RS6. Um, <laughs> now, hang on, so I'm going to let you lead the way with this one. Um, okay. But but I, what about the very early ones? Um, the first one, I think, was a V8, wasn't it? But then yeah. the C6 had the Lamborghini V10, yeah. the twin turbo <laughs> thing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just, you know, what I was saying about... V8, um, you know, I mean, the V8 in the RS4 was a better engine than that than that uh, V10, but it's all about the car that it's in. And in, you know, a full-size estate like um, like the RS6, having that V10 in there was just <laughs> epic, yeah. epic, wonderful, wonderful, I mean, you know, fabulous noise. And, you know, we kind of knew that was never going to go around corner. So I think we were less bothered that RS6s didn't because the level of expectation was, well, that was, was that much lower. I mean, don't, don't get me wrong, I wish they did. And they could have done because we know that M5 Tourings did and we know that E63 AMGs did, and, but, but they didn't. But um, still... I mean, you know, massive Lamborghini V10 in there. I mean, just, 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 I mean, just, I, I love cars that present you with a reason to have them. And, you know, if you're, if you wake up one morning and just decide that, you know, what you want more than anything else in life is an estate car with a twin turbo five litre V10 in it, then, you know, that's a reason. Um, and there was nothing else like it out there. So, you know, bravo to them for that. Yeah. Yeah. You're right, actually, about that. And if you're having a bit of a bad day and you're in a strop and you're driving, yeah, and you, I don't know, blast away from a roundabout with all ten cylinders firing away. You're going to smile, aren't you? It's going to make you yeah. happy. I mean, it wasn't a terribly good car, but I don't think that really matters. Not from the distance that we're looking back at it. Yeah, um, and then followed up by the the uh, well, the first well, not the first V8 one, but the V8 one that followed, and the, the previous RS6 as we're talking about them now. Um, and I think that's a that's a really good car. I think it's still one of the best looking performance estates there has been. Yeah. Because, you know, that, that subtly menacing uh, styling, I think just really worked. Um, and it was not the keenest thing, not the sharpest thing, but again, good enough to drive and just so bloody quick. Yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah, properly rapid. Um, but do you prefer it to the modern one? I do. Well, I think the modern one 
is actually a very good car because it, it does all the proper fast Audi estate stuff, but it's also a, a, a more agile thing. But I just I just think the styling has jumped the shark a bit. It's it's okay. too over the top for me. Okay, I love the modern one. Do you? I think it's a really, really good car. I, every time I drive one of them, I just sit there thinking, why would you have an enormous SUV when you could be in this? Um, I mean, so fast. <laughs> but they ride as well. And you know, that's the yeah. other thing which we haven't really talked about too much. I mean, I know you mentioned it with, in, in relation to the S3 you've had recently, but one of the problems that these, you know, these old fast Audis have is very few of them have actually been that comfortable. And, you know, we laugh and joke about understeer and, uh, sorry, I'm allowed to say understeer. Claxon. You're not. Um, <laughs> Um, but you know actually these cars you know do have a job to do you know they are long distance cars they have to carry loads and I've always well not always but I have been often disappointed by how they fail to do even the sort of the you know the nuts and bolts of the job and get for instance the ride quality right Um, but a modern RS6 um, yeah I mean really really good car I mean possibly my favourite faster state um and certainly preferable to you know i i have a certain sort of academic admiration for the engineering that goes into something like a you know a cayenne turbo or something like that because you know they are you know given that they have to be high and they have to be heavy uh, given the limitations that are imposed upon them they do the job very well but they are what i call qualified cars you have to qualify them with that fact they're really good at this you know, for a car that is this high and this heavy, remove those and just go to something conventional like an estate. And I know that the latest RS6 is hideously heavy. It's, I think it's the wrong side of two tons, but it's still not in, you know, SUV territory. Um, and yeah, um, and it's just, it's just really, really good and so fast and so oh, insane and so yeah. comfortable and so easy to live with as long as you can afford the fuel bills. Um, yeah, it's, it's actually, it's one of my, it's one of my favorite Audis. Um, of all time, um, and certainly um, one of my, my absolute favourites of the ones they make today. Also got a great cabin. It's a terrific car, but it, the styling has gone a bit over the top for my tastes. Um, I did, it was around this time last year that I drove one from home to uh, to Germany, to, where did we go? To Neckersum, which is where uh, Audi Sport is based. Um, so it was a long drive. We did some autobahn stuff. We found some great roads, and God, it is a terrific car. Um, yeah, I'd, I would, I would love. I to bet live it with just one. ate that journey. Did you, did you do it in a day? We didn't. Well, we were filming a video, so we had to stop a lot. Um, oh, okay. So we couldn't do it in a day. But I mean, it just monsters that kind of journey. It's brilliant at it. Um, so yeah, you're right. But the, the, the RS6 is certainly at the moment. That's Audi's. I don't want to call it a comfort zone, but it's a sort of happy territory for Audi, isn't it? It's, 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 the, where... it's the sweet, it's the sweet spot yeah. because because there. I suppose it's because there's no great expectation on them in the in the sort of you know the in 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 the going around corners um, department, um, and so they can just concentrate on making a really good full size estate that also goes like an absolute maniac, and they, they are very very good at that. Mm. Yeah, they are. Uh, right, okay. That's enough RS6 nonsense. The Audi TT. What what comes to mind when you think of a TT? Do you do you even consider it a sports car? Do you know I'm a bit warmer about the TT now than I than I used to be. I mean, there have been some interesting TTs. I think, to be honest, most of them I've driven have been a bit disappointing. 
I don't think I've ever driven one which I just thought was terrible. No. Um, and, and again, you know, it's expectations. I mean, you know, did we really expect the original to be, you know, a great car? Did we really think that it was going to, you know, frighten Porsche? I don't think that we did. Um, and we, you know, and I think we all understood that there were reasons people bought those cars and they had very little to do with, you know, the way that it drove. But, you know, for instance, um, the first ever double clutch gearbox went into a, t- into a TT. I can remember driving a 3.2 V6 TT up the La Turbi hill climb in the south of France with this new thing called a DSG or whatever Audi decided to call it at the time. I'd just been completely blown away by it. I mean, <laughs> just thinking, well, this is the future. You know, yeah. it, you know, very soon, every single car in the world is going to have one of these. And I wasn't, oh, okay, I was wrong, but not that far wrong. Um, I've got a bit of a soft spot for, it is still current, isn't it? The current TTS, not the RS, which I didn't care for, but the TTS. I can remember, again, I drove one of those quite recently. And it's it's just one of those, I think you called it a Goldilocks car, wouldn't you? It's not too hot, it's not too cold, it's just right. And there, there's something, it sort of feels, you know, better than the sum of its parts. You look at what's in it and you think, yeah, well, fair enough. You know, it's going to be kind of okay. But I mean, I, I drove one for a bit on the road and ran a track and it didn't blow my mind. But it was a really nice car. And I can remember sitting there thinking, I could be, you know, I could be happy with one of these for a while. Um, so, yeah, um, I think, <laughs> That's I think the, RS, the RSs are over. Because the problem is, the moment you make a TTRS, people do, really do start putting me up against Caymans and that sort of thing. At which stage, you know, pfft, you know, don't be silly. Um, you know, they're not, I guess they're not that kind of car, are they? Um, or not no. quite that kind. I mean, they're not cars that are designed to appeal purely to, you know, people who love, um, who love driving. But, you know, I... As I say, I don't think I've ever driven one that I thought was a nonsense. What about you? Well, I, I probably have a similar point of view to you, actually. I think they have their place. Um, until recently, my other half had a, a TT, just Oops. a <laughs> just a quite a basic one, a front-wheel drive one. Um, Sorry, Imogen. No, 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 not at all. And it, do you know what? For for someone who actually didn't want a sports car necessarily, yeah. she, you know, she, she she didn't get it instead of a Cayman or a Boxster. She got it instead of a Golf, you know, um, and it, it it looks much more interesting than a Golf. Um, and what I've always liked about the TT actually is what a good job Audi has done over the years of making the cabin feel like a almost a bespoke sports car cabin. The way you sit in it, the way the dashboard reaches all the way back all the way across to you um you know you've got a big expanse of dashboard between you and the base of the windscreen and given the very humble underpinnings of that car it's a golf they've they've always done a good job of making it feel quite special inside they, and they have and, and never more so than with the original and, you, know, yeah. you, you 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 make a very good point um you know, people always used to go on about how amazing the outside of the original tt was and in the context of everything else that was around at the time it absolutely was but actually inside was in many ways even more memorable, I guess because you spent much more time looking at that than the outside. The cabin was really, really good. And in fact, to this day, you just, you know, just go and look inside an original TT and it's, it's a fantastic piece of um, interior design. It's, you know, um, yeah. Um, and I completely understand why um, someone like your other half would just find that very appealing indeed because it's just, you know, it's just an immensely satisfying place to pass the time. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And um, yeah, so you talk about jumping in an early TT and having a look. And I did that recently, last year. Last year, I think it was. Um, I did a video for Piston Heads uh, because it was, 
the TT's 25th anniversary. I think it's 25th. Oh, am I that or, old? Well, it, not quite, because that was from the concept, when the oh, first okay. concept was shown. It took a few years to make production. Um, but we were calling it the 25th anniversary of the TT, and we gave it this gift, which was reassessing the TT's reputation as a driver's car. So we gathered together the most driver-focused version of each generation um, to say, okay, you know, forget everything you know. We're just going to approach these cars as though we know nothing and just see if they're good to drive, you know. Um, and we had RSs for the second two generations. And for the, for the first, we had that curious Quattro Sport thing. Do you remember with the two-tone paintwork, the black roof, um, no rear seats. It had uh, a strut brace across the back. It had a yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Alcantara yeah, steering that. wheel. Interesting yeah. thing. Um, and a bit like that RS2, it was quite enjoyable to drive because you have to work with it and manage its sort of limitations and stuff. But no, I mean, there's nothing about it that makes it a, a great driver's car. It was actually, it's actually quite an odd thing to sit in because you've got a bucket seat. You've got an Alcantara wheel. You've got um, no rear seats. It's like... It, it gives the impression of being like a 911 GT3. And then you drive Continue it driving. and you realise it's, it's nothing <laughs> like a 911 GT3. I think I referred to it as a cosplay 911 GT3. You know, it's just sort of pretending. <laughs> yeah. um, but it's sort of quite a sweet thing. Um, and then and the RSs, uh, you know, they sort of do their thing. Great engines, masses of performance. They're really quick, but nothing sort of engaging or rewarding. But did, did any of them... Would any of them qualify on your scale of cars that are entitled to call themselves proper driving machines? No, no, they don't. They don't. But do you know what? The slightly odd thing about the TT is that it's got humble underpinnings, but so has a Golf R. So has a Golf GTI. Um, and some of them have been fantastic to drive, and yet the yeah. TTs, I don't know. It's don't know. They've never it's, quite it, hit it, this, it, the spot. It's, it, it's all about an attitude, isn't it, I think? Mm. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I, we'll, we'll have more to say on the subject. I certainly will when we get round to. We are going to be talking about the R8 on this, aren't we? Oh yeah, that's that's next. Good. Oh good. Excellent. Um, yeah. <laughs> okay. Good. Um, uh, well, let's get on to it then. Um, so it arrived in 2006, but I want to try and look back a bit further than that. Um, I just want your sort of memories of when it first came onto your radar, when you first saw spy shots or heard that there was of all things, a mid-engine supercar coming from Audi. Yeah, I mean, we were surprised. Um, you know, it was... Uh, it was kind of like the, sort of the last thing that you expected. It was, I guess it, was, it wasn't quite like Porsche doing a two-and-a-bit-ton SUV as they did with the Cayenne, having spent the previous 50 years just making, you know, two-door coupes. But it, it was all that order. Um, and, I, I, and I think the thing is, is that we just had, you know, we'd driven too many fast Audis that just didn't do it in the dynamic department um, to have our expectations under anything other than extremely tight control. I mean, I, you know, they launched it in Vegas um, and we all sort of flew out there and, you know, um, thinking, well, you know, we're going to have a few days of the sun, which will be nice and, you know, I'm sure it'll be very fast. But, um, yeah, I mean... I don't think we thought it would it, it would hold a candle to you know a nine eleven, um, and we were very very wrong. It was how, how quickly fantastic. After, how quickly after driving it? Yeah, did it? Did you realise? Oh, there's something here. Was it first corner? Was it just? Oh, I don't think I don't I don't I mean it's, it's, it was what I call a car park car, and I've talked about car park cars in, used often in the context of things like the 
A110. And one day we will do an entire podcast without mentioning the A110. Uh, but it is just one of those cars you just get in it. And it's, 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 it's the steering more than anything else. You know, you just turn the steering, just manoeuvre the car. And if you've been doing this job for long enough, you just know just by doing those actions that the people who did that car knew what they were doing and they understood because it wouldn't feel like that if they didn't. Um, and then you just think, blimey, okay, this could actually be quite exciting. Um, and then from there, it just went on getting better because, you know, there was an unbelievable engine um, and that lovely open gate gearbox. Um, and then we started discovering, you know, the really surprising stuff. Like on the limit, A, its limits were sky high. But once you got there, you could do what you like with the thing. You know, this was a mid-engine Audi. I mean, it could have been a recipe for absolute disaster from, you know, from a company which is which has almost a, the sort of the opposite of a reputation for producing fine handling cars, a reputation for producing cars that don't really handle. Um, and you, you say to a company like that, OK, go and do a mid-engine you know, supercar, and who knows what could have gone wrong, but they got it absolutely bang on. Um, it was, I was stunned. I mean, you know, I've, I've probably been more surprised by a, a, a few other cars, but sitting here right now, they don't immediately jump to mind. Uh, it was, it was a revelation. It was absolutely amazing. Do you think it was all their own work? Oh, do you know what? I, I've asked. I've asked the question, and uh, and the answer has always come by that it was. Um, to me, it has it has something of the of the East Anglia about it. There's something <laughs> Norfolk about it. Yeah. Um, in the way that it, particularly in the way that it says that beautifully linear, smooth. You know, the lack of stiction in the steering. Um, yeah. I mean, okay. They may not have got those guys to do it for them, but I would bet you, you know, everything that I have that they that, that they they got some of their cars and took them to bits and figured out how to do it, um, because you know that's that's what it feels like. It feels like a sort of Lotus supercar, um, and, and and all the better for it. Yeah, yeah, it does. Um, what did you make of the the V10 model? I remember it was a new car when I just started in this industry, so I drove it in period. And, I mean, an incredible engine. The acceleration was fearsome. Yeah. Did you, did you prefer it? it, was, it, it, it no, I didn't. I absolutely did not prefer it. It wasn't, it wasn't anything like as nice a car. Um, it was very fast, but, you know, I, I, think, you know, I think once you've already got that level of performance, I think, you know, the gains beyond that are usually in the real world quite marginal. The noise was pretty good, but, you know, it's not as if the V8 sounded bad. Um, but, no, but the problem was is it, it, it spoiled the car's handling. I mean, I can remember in the V8, um, you know, time after time, on job after job, chucking them around almost with complete impunity. And I can remember the first time I had to do a skid in the V10. Um, it was on a slightly sort of marginal corner, the sort of corner where I just wouldn't do it these days. Um, and just sort of chucking it in and not thinking too much about it. And it got very big on me. And I, got, I, was, I was suddenly in one of those zones where you suddenly think, actually, this is important. <laughs> I, do need deep. To fi- I do need to find a way of bringing this back. Yeah. Um, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't care for that. Um, and okay, fine. You know, that's kind of you know past the limit and skidding about and being stupid. But generally speaking, the car just didn't feel as nice. Um, you know, obviously the weight distribution has changed, and it, it just felt imbalanced. I mean, to to me, all drivers' cars um, are about the balance of 
between powertrain and chassis um, and you don't want a car feeling like it's over-engined or a car feeling like it's got more grip than power or whatever you want that nice balance don't you and you know the r8 the 4.2 v8 original manual r8 just found that balance it just struck it so sweetly um and you know uh, actually to be honest no r8 since has and one has come pretty close um but i don't think they've ever quite got back to where they were with that with that beautiful original car um, yeah. and it really really saddened me that you know that when they did the new one there was no eight cylinder engine to be seen so what happened in 2014 when they replaced it they, they just they changed the character of the car completely didn't they no manual yeah. box no v8 yeah, four-wheel drive. Yeah. Um, oh, no, they were all four-wheel drive, weren't they? Um, yeah. Yeah, no manual box, no V8. Um, a cabriolet I couldn't get into. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, we'll, we'll come back to that because I ran one for five months. So um, we, we'll come back to that. But it seemed it seemed to me as though what they did was disregard all of the things that people like us wrote and raved about the original yeah. R8 and yeah. just went... Ignore all that stuff. What does Mr. PCP supercar buyer want? Okay, yeah. This is the impression I got. He wants eye-catching looks. He wants lots of noise, huge performance, massive grip. He wants stability so it doesn't feel scary. He wants it to go fast with no effort. Um, and they or just she. built that car. Or she, of course. And they, <laughs> and then they, just, and they, just, and they built that car. Um, and it was a very, very different beast to the one that came before it. All, all the delicacy had yeah. gone, um, and it became. I can remember doing when the 570s came out, uh, the McLaren. Uh, I did a group test for Autocar with that, and the R8, and a 911, and I think we had a Vantage there as well. Um, and it's it's been a while since I've a car has felt more out of its depth than the R8 felt in that company. Uh, it just felt, yeah, even though actually in price terms it was you know it was there or thereabouts it was an expensive car um you know, on the road it just it just floundered it just it was you know it i mean it 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 was made to look pretty silly by the nine eleven let alone the mclaren um and i and I just thought that you know this is it's just gone so far past all those things that made it great um originally and you know i kept on thinking of those things about it until i drove until they decided to remove the front drive shafts and produce a rear drive one mm. yeah and they then were suddenly the rws um which has now been standardized the rear drive r8 suddenly i was thinking to myself wow actually it's a good car again it and is the better I, one Oh, more than the better one. And, you know, okay, it was cheaper, which I guess helped. But no, I mean, to me, it was a car transformed. I mean, we had one on our handling day a couple of years ago, three years ago, maybe. Um, and it did really, really well. I mean, frankly, if it had been the standard four-wheel drive car, it, wouldn't have, it would never have got within a million miles of an invitation, let alone doing well. But, you know, I drove that car and we smoked it around Anglesey and we had, you know, a good time. And, on the road. and I can remember thinking, actually, this is a, this, okay, it's probably not quite, as good as the original but this is a very credible car this is a very um involving and entertaining and above all likable high performance mid-engine car in a way that i hadn't felt about any r8 since they canned the v8 so they and that's the annoying thing they can do it <laughs> they know but how. they choose not to yeah 
They've they got, they've somehow it. got a, a, a particular logic, haven't they? A way of doing things. And they, they just prefer doing something else. Yeah, you mentioned that um, RWS R8 on Autocar Handing Day. That was one of the two that I did. Um, ah. Yeah, I, I remember that car very fondly. And I, was, I, I kept thinking as we were doing that test, okay, but which one would I rather drive four hours home? Would I take the GT3 RS or would I much rather be in this thing? And I think that, okay, it's called Handling Day, but that, you know, it's, it's a factor. It's a, it's a properly usable car. Oh, one issue, the yeah, well, yeah. One, it, it, the, the trouble is the R8, it did cook its brakes on circuit. Do you remember that? Yeah, I do. And it, yeah. it smeared all sorts of rubbish on, the, on its discs, which just sort of counted against it a bit. But no, it's, it's a lovely car. The trouble is, I did a, a video for Pistonheads again. We had the RWD. It is now called RWD, the rear drive It was R8. the RWS, was the limited was. edition car, which is now being standardized, yeah. the RWD. Yeah. yeah. And I, we did it up against um, the Huracan Evo RWD, a car that's very closely related to, but nothing like as exciting. Um, it's so interesting to drive them back to back because you realise just how far Lamborghini's engineers turned everything up. Yeah, um, it's it's just such an intense car compared to the R8, which is in in the Lambo's company actually quite subdued. Um, but I, no, but, I agree. But, but oh, but yeah, but goodness me, which would you rather live with? Well, that's true. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I mean, okay, okay. Apart from the fact that you got a Lamborghini parked outside, that's very nice. But actually if you've actually got to get in there at half past four on a Monday morning to go and catch the red eye from, from somewhere and you've just got to schlep down the M4 or whatever, you know, um, you'd, you'd just be, I'm afraid, I mean, maybe, maybe this is the middle-aged man of me talking, but, you know, you, you'd just take the Audi, wouldn't you? Or yeah. I would. Yeah. No, I agree with that. And there are also times where you don't want to rock up in a Lamborghini, do you? Or, no. You but know, it's, it's, yeah. the, it's the difference, isn't it? You know, the, you know, the R8 is a daily driver and the Huracan is a, is a, is a toy. It's a recreation. It's, a, it's not even a second car. It's a third, fourth or fifth car. Um, okay. You mentioned the R8 Spider. I said we'd talk about it a bit. And now you need to explain do we, do we why... To? Well, yeah, just briefly. But you, you need to explain what you did when you had one in for test. Uh, I, I got into a lot of pain. <laughs> um, I, 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 do, I, I, do you know some story which I've forgotten? Um, didn't you get out of it and just leave it at the roadside? No, I didn't leave it at the roadside. No, no I did get home. I think I must <laughs> okay. have wanted... I can remember I got... I was, I was going to do a big journey in it. Uh, but before that, I had to go to somewhere not far away. I think it was somewhere like Bristol to go and get something. Um, and I can remember getting as far as Bristol and thinking, I can't really face driving this thing back again, but I don't have a choice. And by the time I got home again, I was in so much better. The problem, dear listener, is that um, to package the convertible roof, um, they just took a look. At, uh, they just took away a load of legroom. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm no freak, and I, I'm a reasonably evenly distributed six foot three. But um, I was. It's as uncomfortable as I've been driving a modern car in as long as I can remember, and I've been doing this job for a very, very long time. And it just struck me as amazing that a company like Audi could design a car like that and just think, you know, yeah, reasonably tall blokes, well, forget that. We, we, we don't have any of them driving our cars because, you know, um, we, we, we can't package them, despite the fact that they managed it perfectly well with the previous car. Um, very strange. Um, it's, the exact, it's exactly the same with the, the Hurricane. But, you, but you, I mean, you're not, you know, you're not sure, are you? Six you're, foot. How tall are you? You're six foot, okay. So, 
Yeah, there's not much difference between the two of us, but you were fine in it, weren't you? Or did you find it... There's an important detail. Um, Okay. There are two seat options in that car, still are, I suspect. And the the normal seat, which we'll call the comfort seat, it's it's got a much thicker back, so it doesn't push back very far. And that's what causes the issue. The, The car I had had the bucket seats with a very slim back, and so they do push back far enough so I could get... Well, I won't use the word comfortable. I could, my legs would fit and I wouldn't feel cramped um, in the car. But they were fixed back bucket seats and they were bolt upright. Uh, and they were just actually really unpleasant to sit in, even for a short journey. So, you know, if you're as tall as we are, I'm not, I'm not massively tall, not unusually tall. But the, the R8 Spider just doesn't really work for you because you either need those horrible really uncomfortable bucket seats or you're going to feel a bit cooped up in the thing um so it's just a it's a bit of a mystery that car really um and i just remember thinking yeah i had it for five months i just remember thinking if i'd saved and saved and put down a deposit on one of these and i'm making the monthly payments working really hard to keep doing that how disappointed i would be yeah um because it's just a just a an underwhelming car overall given that it's a V10 mid-engine supercar. You know, it should be a, a magical thing. It just wasn't, really. I did want to try and end it on a high note, but um, well, we haven't okay, yet spoken. L- l- allow me to try. We, we, do we need to mention SUVs? That's what I was going to do. Ah, and the okay. way I was going to do it, in an attempt to end this on a high note, is to get you to talk to me about all the fast Audi SUVs you've enjoyed. The... The first RSQ3 was quite an entertaining thing. I thought that was a okay. decent car. Okay. Um, I've not driven the bigger ones, really. Okay. Can I raise you? Hang on. I can't, I've, I've got to try to even remember its name. Um, what was the Q7 thing? Was that, was that called... Uh, was it SQ7? There was an SQ7, which had a 4-litre V8 diesel in it. <laughs> yeah. That was... That was something, actually. Um, and in fact, you can still buy an SQ7 and you can buy an SQ8, but they've dropped the diesel. And so now you just get the the same um, V8 that you get in an RS6, except it's only got 500, not 600 horsepower. So, you know, <laughs> not terribly, but exactly, 500 <laughs> horsepower. <laughs> Who's interested? But that, um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm basically, I'm just using, for, using this as an excuse to have a whinge about um, there no longer being any V8 diesels left. Um, but, you know, if, if you're going to have a two and a bit ton SUV. I mean, what would you choose to have in it? You'd want the, the engine with the most possible torque that there was out there. And that's what those, you know, I can remember driving that engine in actually in a Panamera, which I know isn't an Audi and I know it's not an SUV, but it did not do 100 in nine seconds. <laughs> a diesel powered car. Um, and it did not to 60, I think in less than three. I mean, that was such a mighty engine. Um, and they used it in the Bentayga, um, and they used it obviously in the Cayenne, and they used it in the RSQ7. And it, it just saddens me that it's gone um, because I think of all the Audi fast SUVs I've driven, they, that was the only one which sort of made me think, okay, I can I could see why you might want this um, because it was epic in the way, and it also. You know, it, it it would do, you know, a bazillion miles on a tank and, you know, it was very quiet and effortless and, and, and everything else. And I could just see that, you know, in a certain sort of context for a certain buyer, 
that would really work. But sadly, they don't make it anymore. Yeah, it's a shame, isn't it? Do you know, for a diesel, a V8 one can actually sound pretty good, can't it? It can, absolutely. Yeah. I, I remember and, driving and, and, the Range Rover Sport with the V8 diesel and just thinking, this sounds fantastic. Yeah, 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 much missed. Mm. Shame. Okay. Well, well, there we go. Fast Audis. Um, I'm sure we've missed a couple. We didn't talk about any A8s Ooh, or S8s, I, I t- did we? I, t- I tell you one we haven't talked about. Go on. Which we should, albeit briefly, um, because no one's driven it yet. Um, e-tron GT. Mm. I mean, that will be interesting. It will be interesting, won't it? This, as I'm sure most of you will know, is you know Audi's take on the Porsche Taycan. Um, same underpinnings, um, same powertrain, but I think probably tuned differently in power output and, and that sort of thing. I think the car I've read about is going to have about 580 horsepower. So what is Audi going to do? I mean, the Taycan has obviously got itself this reputation, absolutely deserved in my view as being the greatest electric car yet brought to market. Uh, it's got that 800 volt um, architecture in it. It's got so it's the same underneath. So it, it's got the same raw materials. But as we have seen so many times in the past, and you're only talking about you know the S3 versus a Golf R at the beginning of this podcast, just because you give Audi the same materials doesn't mean they're going to come up with the same dish. Um, so if you were okay, if you were Audi and you're looking at the Taycan and thinking, oh shit, they did a good job with that. What would you be looking to make the key differentiators of your of your e-tron GT to make sure that people didn't just go and give all their money to your rivals down the road? I think I'd make the differentiators the cabin and the styling and just try and yeah. imitate the way the the Taycan drives as accurately as you could. Okay, so you would try to make it quite down. You, so you wouldn't go the other way. You wouldn't just think, well, you know, GT, so we're just going to turn it into a... Well, a comfort thing. We're going, to, we're going to soften it all off. We're going to give it the most beautiful pillowy ride. Um, you know, nobody's expected this thing to go around corners anyway because it's a fast Audi, so let's not worry about that. I mean, I don't know. I, d- I don't have a view. I'm just, I'm just interested in the, in the debate. I'm, and I'm just really interested in, in what they do because, you know, because it's not a kind of car that they've done before. Obviously, you know, they've done uh, an electric car because there's, you know, there's the... Uh, what do they call it? E-tron, the SUV yeah. thing. Um, yeah, yeah. And um, they've done a sports car before because we've been talking about the R8, but they've never kind of sort of combined the two. Um, and this could be another R8 moment. This could be a car we get into and we just go, wow, okay, weren't expecting that. Or it could be we get into and we go, <laughs> that's exactly what we were expecting. Um, so it'll be, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, I look forward to it. You know, it, 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 from what I've seen, it looks very cool. Um, it might even look better than Taycan um, and you know it, it will certainly be well engineered whether it's engineered in the direction you and I would like it to be is, is, is I guess a different question but um, yeah it'll certainly be an interesting addition we'll find out soon before we end I think we do at least need to mention the RS3 um, because there have been a handful of them some better than others um, immediate thoughts when you hear RS3 I'd rather drive an A45 yeah, quite. Okay, fair enough. Great engines. <laughs> Lovely five-cylinder, that 400 horsepower, five-pot, really strong engine. But there we go. They they did improve it a few years ago when they facelifted it. And it had, when they bumped it up to 394 horsepower or whatever it was, um, they it, they improved it, but it's it's still sort of limited to... And, the, and there's another one coming, isn't there, which is going to go yeah. way past 400. It's, it basically, it's just got to keep pace with, them, with, with, with the bends, hasn't it? It has. Yeah, that's what they're going to have to do. Um, 
Okay, well, there we go. If we've missed the fast Audi you were hoping to hear about, I am sorry. Maybe send us a note and we'll have a think about chatting about that later on. We um, haven't mentioned the SQ2. I mean, for <laughs> Leave it there, shall we? <laughs> um, let's leave it there. Okay, well, thank you, everybody. Uh, you have to, I have to remind you all to rate and review the podcast. Subscribe if you can, wherever you download your podcasts. Um, and check us out on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash drive nation where you can bung us a few quid every month and we'd be very grateful for it inordinately grateful okay uh we'll be back to talk to you again next week look forward to it thanks so much everyone all the best bye the drive nation podcast with dan prosser and andrew frankel Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.